Here's a book called Hollywood and Mine by yours truly. It starts with a quote from F. Scott Fitzgerald. People in the East pretend to be interested in how pictures are made. But if you actually tell them anything, you find they are only interested in Colbert's clothes or Gable's private life. They never see the ventriloquist for the doll. An introduction. Someone I love lives in Manhattan. I told him at the outset of the pandemic that what seemed most precious to Californians was toilet paper. He told me once his city's lockdown started, what concerned him most was his supply of vodka. As the weeks went on and the death toll climbed into the unthinkable thousands, he found himself going for dawn walks in Central Park. Until one morning, under a quarter-mile cathedral of elms, he stood masked, 12 feet from another masked man, telling him his life story. Here in Los Angeles County, we had a law during the pandemic that you had to wear a face mask and maintain a space of at least six feet from anyone else. People around the country were doing the same. It must have looked pretty funny to see my friend holding a conversation at that distance. Or maybe not. I wore a pleated mask, hand-stitched from a lemon-patterned tea towel, with a pocket to hold the filter I had cut from the 16-inch by 25-inch rectangle of melt-blown fabric that's usually inserted into a furnace. The virus makes for improvisations, vivid dreams, and wakeful stretches. Last night in the hills, I listened above a city that usually echoes with activity and heard only a breeze in the eucalyptus trees. No helicopters, no cars, not even a dog barking somewhere in the canyon. I thought of my grandparents, teenagers who must have worn masks during the flu pandemic of 1918. I have a picture of them in long black wool swimsuits on the beach, hair flying, laughing, so young, so obviously in love, it never occurred to me that they'd survived a pandemic just years before. I don't have any images of them suited up for the plague. I tried to picture it. All I saw were two happy 19-year-olds laughing in front of a sparkling ocean. It was so quiet, maybe as quiet as it might have been here a hundred years ago. I thought of my friend. I thought of my friend until I got out of bed and started typing, and from the example of those two good strangers in the park, New Yorkers reaching out, this account was born. I went west to Hollywood as a teenager on a summer break from college to look after a movie star's kids. As it turns out, summer never really ended because here I stayed. I married the movie star, alienated my stepchildren, had one child of my own, went back to school, got a job assisting a hot young director, became a producer, then ran a studio. For a very long while, I ran a studio, until I didn't. The workings of the industry still fascinate me, yet I find them best viewed from a safe distance. And yes, now everything seems to be at a safe distance, or as our governor likes to say, physically distant, spiritually connected. As you will see, making films isn't at all physically distant. It's more like a community project. So looking for the title that would best sum up my career in the movie industry, I went online instead of opening a book a hazard that will be explained in time, 
and I looked up Chatelaine in hopes of finding its synonym on the internet and found a lot of rubbish. Things like doxy, sugar, mistress, girlfriend, or sweetheart scrolled down the screen. As I said, just nonsense. A Chatelaine is a woman in charge of running a very large establishment, like a castle. She possesses the keys, both literal and metaphorical, to the kingdom. I was the Chatelaine of the studio. I devoted my time there, in service of, with the burden of responsibility for. I kept its secrets and promoted its interests, and yet I felt I wasn't really working. Working, for me, meant making a movie, singular. It meant rising before daylight and spending all day logging a few minutes of cinematic action on film with a hundred of my best friends. Once I was running the studio, I took meetings. I approved policies. I made sure we adapted to new technologies and new methods of entertainment distribution. I worried over profits, losses, and taxes. Able assistants managed my schedule. Gatekeepers vetted all incoming calls. I slept late, and I was never, ever on set. Life in a bubble makes you want to pop. From 2011 to 2012, I was, to put it mildly, stressed. I got frequent migraines. People began to notice, as did a friend who sent me this text after I sent an email they insisted they never received. I've kept it for years. Here you go. Billy, the migraines are causing you to hallucinate. There is security footage of a petite, disoriented woman spray painting, Good night, Cooper. Forget the budget. Just have fun. On the wall of stage eight, she then threw a frozen melon through the commissary window while shouting something like, Six Semper Tyrannus. Then she drove away in her golf cart, laughing. Security says do not approach, as she may be dangerous. What am I getting at? Let's turn our attention to Lilith, an ancient figure predating Eve. Not created from a rib, but formed from the exact same stardust as Adam. Lilith wouldn't submit to Adam's original male demands, and so she hot-footed it out of Eden and had a high time with an archangel named Sam. Thereafter, she was associated with the transgressive, the demonic, and the vampiric, all because she didn't take to subservience. Women who wield power have had a bad rap since the beginning of time. In my own time, I have placated, seemingly demurred, smoothed, smiled, and been deemed maternal, while my stepchildren and son could easily dispute that during which I quietly controlled a workforce that spanned the globe and turned out a product that, while earning billions, entertained all. It was a good run. Do I have regrets and remorse? Did I fuck up? Of course I did. Consider this. In a hypothetical pie chart of my soul, it wouldn't be all happy thoughts and an unbounded faith in my own decisions. If you think the same standards exist for men and women who toil in the public sphere, you have only to look at our present situation to be disabused of this notion mighty damn quick. 
In deference to readers in the future, I will briefly summarize what is no doubt etched in history. When disease stalked the planet, the leader of Germany was on the level, informative, calm, capable, and trustworthy. She prepared her country for a tragic onslaught, and she and her fellow citizens forged a coordinated defense against a viral killer. At the same time, we here were stuck with someone who had none of the characteristics of the German leader. A man with the moral stature of an amoeba occupied the highest office in the land. Although I don't think that's a fair comparison. Amoebas aren't known for blathering hogwash, anger, or avarice. If you're wondering how this sort of person could have attained world power and then so damaged the institutions that supported it, I will tell you a story about movie making and you can draw your own parallels. Not too long ago, in a city much like Gotham, a very big film was being made. On this film, the people who were responsible for the vehicles that moved the crew and the trucks that carried all the filming equipment were part of an old and an entrenched organization. These people were drivers, and the organization was more interested in maintaining a stranglehold on power than anything else. One night, at the end of a long day of filming, some of the drivers, after all the vehicles were moved and parked and secured, gathered together to get their drink on. A few beers chased by a couple of shots, and the partiers were well over the legal limit to drive. However, these revelers gave no concession to the law. They found limits posed no impediment to impulse. They drove off, half-hammered, in their cars, SUVs, and pickups. One dawdling and particularly merry individual couldn't, for the life of him, spot his ride. He warbled, Dear St. Anthony, please come around. Something is lost that cannot be found. Up toward the roof of an old piano factory turned soundstage. Crickets. The last of the taillights were out. The merry individual was alone. All alone. He clicked his keys. His car's location was revealed with a chirp. There was no way to access his wheels besides staggering through the parking lot, setting off alarms, and smashing through his moonroof. What a predicament. Yet, there was a vehicle that stood by itself, sleek, fast, thinned, a marvel of steel and automotive design. It was the Batmobile. What did this driver do? He got into the Batmobile and drove off the secured set. Jazzed by his heist and feeling good, he decided he wanted to feel even better. Instead of going home, he jetted to his favorite bar. When last call came, he left the bar wanting to feel even higher. And driving the city, he spotted a streetwalker. Bada bing, bada boom. Except the boom came down on him because the prostitute he thought he was propositioning turned out to be an undercover cop. The driver was arrested. The Batmobile was placed in impound. What were the movie producers to do? The Batmobile was meant to be filmed the next day. However, it was locked away. 
The police wouldn't release it. It was stolen and not at all street legal. The mayor of the big city was awoken at an ungodly hour. He then woke the police chief. The Batmobile was released. Soon after, the driver was released. The movie producers tried to fire him, especially once it was found that the Batmobile's engine was seized with a sticky infusion of cola. But the union closed ranks, asserting they determined which drivers were hired and fired. Or as they told the producers, he's one of us. A deal was struck. The driver was on for the remainder of the movie, but offset. The low-life, sabotaging jerk was kept on payroll. He's one of us. When I left the film industry, I too was one of us. In mob parlance, a made man. I'm talking mafia. Man is an indefinite pronoun referring to a group of individuals. I'm referring to studio heads, not my specific gender. I rose from foot soldier to boss, and I have kept my silence far too long. I didn't steal a Batmobile, but I trespassed in ways I increasingly couldn't abide. Which is not to say, getting back to the political angle, that I had been tasked with preserving the planet for the next generation or ensuring peace and prosperity for my country. Let's just say my executive skills fell solidly in the middle between the acme and the amoeba. Nonetheless, I took my studio job seriously, and at a certain point when I had fudged things too far, I found myself wanting to hot-foot it out of the administrative realm into the private sphere with my own version of an archangel. Did I act on that impulse? You shall soon find out. In the Mafia, they say, the books are open when a family is willing to add to its ranks. Usually the books are closed in Hollywood. After just one more paragraph, I intend to give you a look under the covers. Remember, life never is a simple linear narrative. It's too messy and senseless. On the other hand, a memoir, no, make that a novel a much less contentious prospect, is an attempt to resolve the random acts of life and give them meaning, put them into some kind of context. Whether this reads as simply an insider chronicle of a life lived in Hollywood or another of those cautionary tales about the same, I'll leave to you, gentle reader, my unknown confidant. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the story, please tell a friend.